You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is God's word. As already mentioned, I'm, I'm Chad, one of the pastors. Our other pastor, Aaron, is out uh, enjoying some well-needed rest and time with family, uh, with his kids and his wife, and so we're grateful that he's able to do that. Um, so you get to see my face up here way too much, just saying. Um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, as was already mentioned, and hopefully, if you haven't noticed already, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some available under some of the seats in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible at all, please take it, it's yours. Um, because we want to dive into the Word together. And we're in a relatively short passage for what we've gone through, some of the other times we've covered in the past. Um, We're going to be looking specifically at a disagreement that arose between two prominent early church planters, Barnabas and Paul. The Bible doesn't shy away from showing the good and the ugly. And in this particular case, you might think that... uh, Hey, there's all happy-go-lucky in the early church, right? Maybe if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, you'd be under that impression. But it's a gift to us to see that the Spirit of God is given to each of us as followers of Jesus, and we see things of the Spirit like looking through a veil, though. Let me clarify what I mean by that. Even though we are followers of Jesus and we follow His Spirit, hopefully we're still imperfect people. And so we see in the text of Scripture imperfect people trying to figure this out together. It's a gift because the Bible doesn't shy away from showing us things like this disagreement. Because we should be humble about our own spiritual clarity and our opinions. We should be humble because we're still affected by the sin of this world. We're still affected by our own sin. And it's not even suggested in this particular passage with Paul and Barnabas that there's necessarily a glaring sin but just simply a disagreement about some strategy, about an approach, about a next step. It's also a great text for unbelievers to consider as well. Because without a doubt, you have, if you're a a believer or an unbeliever, you've seen, heard, or even personally experienced those who profess Christ handling a disagreement really poorly. Or maybe you yourself have felt you've handled a disagreement very poorly. I wish I could apologize personally for every single person who has been, who has besmirched the name of Jesus by acting like a total brat. I'd have to apologize for myself. I'm guilty of doing that. Because you don't have to look far to see the bad behavior and hypocrisy of believers. It's kind of, we're we're broken people. 
But I would encourage people who are not believers to not look at the individuals who say they represent him, but rather look to Jesus and look to examples like this and what they show us about how we handle disagreement. So if you would pray with me this morning, I'm going to pray that God would be with us as we look at the text and that he would teach us. Father, we're grateful that you don't shy away, that your people don't shy away from showing with clarity that there are disagreements that come up in the church, that we see even such biblical superheroes, if you will, Paul, Barnabas, men of great success in the, in the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom and church planting, yet they come to a place where they disagree with one another. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would teach us, would fill us, would guide us, and grant us in your grace that we would see more clearly and more beautifully Jesus and be more like him. I ask us in Christ's name, amen. So first thing I want to do is look at the context of the disagreement because I think that's going to be helpful for us. So look again at Acts 36 through 41 and follow with me along starting at verse 36. It says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So what is the initiation of this entire story? Paul and Barnabas, if you aren't already aware, we've seen from the beginning of Acts, have been a part of a movement into the Gentile regions. They've gone off church planting into other areas where it's actually a lot of non-Jewish people. And though Jewish people have come to faith, they've also seen a lot of folks who aren't Israel becoming part of the church. And so they've started new churches in each of these areas near the synagogues. And these new churches have people who are trying to follow after Jesus. They're brothers and sisters, as Paul talks about them here, in every town where they preach the word. And he's saying, I got a really good idea. What can we do? Let's go see how they're doing. They don't have the internet. They don't, they don't follow their Instagram. They don't have really easy ways to follow up. They can send letters. But the best way to find out is in person. Let's go check it out. What does Barnabas say? Well, verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. Now, it's important to know who John Mark is because it causes a problem for Paul. And what's Paul's response? He insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. Now, earlier when Paul and Barnabas were first sent off from Antioch, they had John Mark with them on the trip. And they took a ship, what was really a really rough ship ride. I mean, at this time, you're not able to book personal rides on certain, but you had to actually go to the commercial location where someone's already taking a trip, unless you were wealthy enough to have your own boat. They didn't have luxury cruises and other kinds of, uh, other, other kind of consumer trips. You would normally go in there and say, hey, you guys are already shipping something. Can I ride along with you? And so they pay their way, they get in the boat, and they make the trip. Well, they'd already gone on a long ship ride with John Mark in tow, and they had probably seen a lot of rough seas, a lot of rough situations, and they then got landed in Pamphylia. And in Pamphylia, they were aiming to go straight up north through some pretty rough terrain. They just got done with this ride, they got to Pamphylia, they're like, we're going north, we got all these little towns, we know that there are synagogues in, we're going to start talking about Jesus, we want to start with the Jewish people, let's go to these cities and these towns, and we're going to go through this valley. John Mark is an individual who has had a rather, probably good upbringing. His, his mother that we know is a wealthy woman, lived in Jerusalem, okay? 
So we don't know how rough. He probably didn't camp outside a lot. Okay. He's, he's, the, he, he's probably got some soft hands. I'm not saying if you work at a desk, that's a bad thing. Mine are varied as well. I work at an office. He's not, he's, he, he, he's not familiar with really toughing it. And we don't know specifically why, but we can probably infer for some reason one of these or any of number of these, he decided, I'm not going to keep going. I'm going back to mom's in Jerusalem. That's what happened. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I didn't know how I'd hook it in, but there it is. All right. So he goes back to Jerusalem, and as far as Paul considers it, he abandons them. So Paul and Barnabas, Bar- oh, here's the other thing I know about Jean-Marc. It's Barnabas' cousin. Anybody got family that you have a hard time dealing with, and you're like, hey, okay, he, he's like he wants to encourage him, he wants to work with him. Barnabas is also a guy, you got to understand, he is so encouraging, that's his nickname. Okay? They, the, literally, the brothers have called him the son of encouragement. He's the guy who, when Paul first converted from persecuting and killing Christians to saying, hey, I believe in this Jesus, he's the one that came in with Paul and said, listen, I, I vouch for this. He wanted to build up Paul, and then when Paul first started really breaking into ministry, Barnabas is the one that brought him in to Antioch. Barnabas is building up. He's the one that saw the Gentile church in Antioch growing and got excited and came in and said, hey, you're not Jewish. This is a new thing, but clearly the Spirit's at work. Keep it going. He's an encourager. So John Mark wants to take a second shot. Barnabas's instinct is, yeah, let's take him. Paul, on the other hand, says, dude, abandon me. If you go into a hard, tough situation, you need to have people to trust and entrust your life to. Paul says, I don't want this guy. Because he left. And he might, he might dip when it gets tough. So we can understand where both of them are coming from, right? A little bit. We can see it, both sides. Verse 39, what happened as a result of their responses? They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled to Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He went on to do the work they were going to do. And Barnabas took John Mark and went back to Cyprus, which was Barnabas' hometown. They went to invest in Barnabas. Now, it's, it's probably because the, the Scripture has a way of being able to compress up a story really tightly. This is only a few verses, a lot going on, okay? Like, this sharp disagreement is a significant thing that they came to a head in. I mean, so much so that Paul and Barnabas, who have s- essentially been inseparable from the beginning of their mission, are like, We're not, we can't work together. This isn't, this isn't working. And they split ways. So, Here's what I want us to look at this morning, something that stands out for me. First off, the, there's no mention of either one of them being wrong. Like, it actually doesn't say that the, either one is in sin blatantly. We'll actually see later that they both go on and good things happen from the different paths they go on. Okay? The word doesn't side with Paul. We can, I've seen inferences that suggest that maybe the church there was on Paul's side on this. I think that's you're kind of just looking for something here. I don't think that's guaranteed. But what's helpful for us is that as believers, we look at this and we recognize in our own life that you are likely going to face disagreements and you are likely going to have tough decisions to make. And if you don't, I don't think you got out of bed in the morning. That was your first tough decision you didn't make. 
So if we look at this text, what are some things that we can see evident from the interaction with Paul and Barnabas that are helpful for us to encourage us as we are walking through this life, facing disagreements and making tough decisions? Because they made the tough decision to split ways. That's what we want to look at this morning. And there are three I believe three that stand out that we can take away, three important takeaways demonstrated in this disagreement. To devote yourself to the mission, to discern gospel from preference, and to trust ultimately in God's grace. Those are the three. Now, I'm going to make this reference. Well, no. So, so you know, as, a, as someone who's preaching, sometimes you look for an opportunity to do some alliteration. Clearly, this is not DDD, DDT. Now, first thing that came to my mind, I need to explain because I'm a child of much earlier times when everybody was into fake wrestling. I'm sorry, I said fake. Like WWE. And a DDT was when like you, it was like a finishing move. You like put the guy in the headlock and just dropped on his head. It was just, I mean, brutal as it could be for fake wrestling, right? But here's the other thing you might, I, when I search this up, it's also like an, an insecticide. Either way, we're like, we're going to try to handle disagreements. We're going to finish them, all right, huh? Or we're going to squash, right, <laughs> our disagreements. This is so awful, guys. I'm sorry. Cut this out of the recording. Let's cut it out. All right. I don't know why. I just thought I had to say it. First, we're going to look at devoting yourself to the mission, devoting yourself to the mission. And I think we see it most clearly out of the gate when the purpose of the disagreement that arises in verse 36, that Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters. Like their main goal together is actually, and their main concern is precipitating this agreement has to do with advancing the mission. They're asking a question as a community. They're asking a question as one another, as apostles. What is it we could do right now with our gifts, with our talents, with our abilities? What could we do that would be best for the churches? And Paul and Barnabas agree it's to go see these other churches and encourage them. They're taking a step on that. Jesus himself gave us that commission. We've talked about this in Matthew 28 to say, go and make disciples. And so these guys, Paul and Barnabas, as disciples of Christ, are on that mission of spreading and sharing the good news of salvation available in Jesus. And God has gifted them in such a way that building up, preaching, teaching, and advancing the church is how they do that well. So they want to go back and encourage them. I think it's important for us as disciples to consider that that's one of the things that precipitated this is because all too often, all of us especially that are not necessarily feel like we're gifted in teaching and preaching and church planning and going places might neglect the idea that we have involvement in the mission at all. It's easy for us to get into the flow of day-to-day life and everything that goes on and think about that as a lower priority. The thing about it is that the command for going and make disciples is all disciples. And I don't want to make a big thing on it because you, if you come in here and you hear me, sometimes I like to get on grammar and be like, the word is this way. I get it. But the go and making disciples, it's actually a participle. Any English grammar geeks in here? I'm like this. Okay, it's a part. It's like a, it's like a actively going. As you're going, going along, you're doing this. The, the command is make disciples. 
Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, if God sends you overseas, if he sends you somewhere else, but the priority that Jesus sets is you're making disciples. What, what way? You are looking at what God has gifted you in the churches, and you're looking at brothers and sisters around you as how can I encourage and edify the body? How can I advance the kingdom? How can I invest, just like I said, like spiritual mothers who are investing in younger, seeing needs in our community and investing with the gospel. I want to, I've heard this quote somewhere attributed, and I think it was to John Stott. I can't prove it because the internet's failing me on finding it. So I'm going to have to go to a scriptural reference. That's probably better. But basically the idea was he was asked in some group setting about how do I make a decision on, on what God's will is for my life? And that's a helpful question. And his actual simple answer, at least as I understood it in the story I heard, was essentially to look and see wherever your gifts can be greatest used for the kingdom and try to go that way. I think it's best found in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, where it says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength of God provides, so that that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. You know, all too often, I think, as we make really hard decisions in life, or even we make general life plans, I think the temptation is have the kingdom and the mission be the last thing we we we, do. consider I know that life takes us all kinds of places and opens up all kinds of doors but my encouragement to you is this don't allow a new job a new pay a new city to move to a new location a new opportunity the door opens be the only reason you make a move to a place and then after you show up there say oh I wonder what church I'm going to be at I wonder what community I'm being involved in. I wonder what kind of space I'm going to serve the kingdom. I wonder how I might use my gifts. We all know, or maybe have been that people, we've moved to a new area and spent years trying to find a community to invest in, but we moved there because it was a good opportunity. And I'm not in any way condemning someone who does that because I honestly believe this is a matter of conscience you need to consider, but it's my I'm edifying, I'm encouraging, I'm wanting to build you up to consider that the mission and the gifts that God has given you and the way that you use them is a greater factor that you should consider in all of your day-to-day life. How can I most glorify God with my gifts? So first and foremost, we should devote ourselves to the mission as we see disagreements come up, as we see tough decisions. The second thing is we should discern gospel from preference discern gospel from preference what i mean by that when i say discern and i'm using that biblical word if you will on purpose is because we need to do the hard work of really considering what we're disagreeing on and consider what what context it fits into what i mean is that there is the gospel and there's there's non-negotiable type things, and then there's like, hey, what are we having for dinner? Right? We all agree there's a scale, right? Look at what's going on here for these two guys. It's not a gospel issue. 
John Mark coming, John Mark going, it's not like it's whether or not Jesus is God, right? It's a, it's a strategy. It's, I don't know if we could trust him. It's, who do we bring on this mission? They're going into battle, really. Tough times. Can we, can we depend on this guy? Barnabas says, man, he's doing better. Let's bring him along. It's not the level. And I know that Paul doesn't see it at that level because he sees a gospel issue in Galatia, and he doesn't let up. He writes letters to them. He's, he's like, guys, what are you doing? You're walking away from the gospel. He won't let that stuff fly. Here, he's like, listen, we disagree. We're going to have to go separate ways. I think it's important for us to consider because there are things that are doctrinal issues and gospel issues, and then there are preferences or even what I would call an areas of Christian wisdom. We just need to use our own personal choices and wisdom. Even within doctrinal issues, there's a spectrum, guys. It's not in this context, but I wanted to give you an I wanted to give you kind of an idea of the way I walk through some of these things and think about them. I think it's helpful, right? Because the temptation for us is to take our opinions and kind of assert our authority like little tyrants, right? That, that, that my opinion is the most important thing here. And this may or may not come as a surprise to some of you, but your point of view is not law. Right? I, so in some respects, I think of, and this is going to be a generational thing for me, the Charlton Heston classic, The Ten Commandments. Okay, I always remember this growing up. They'd play this movie, and the Pharaoh, every time he made some dictate, he would say, so let it be written, so let it be done. Right? Some of us want to rule our life that way. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like, going like if you want to go with a little more modern, The Mandalorian, you had the little guy in there who said, I have spoken. There you go. All right. Some of us act like the way we see the world is equivalent to stone tablets handed down from God himself. And the reason I can say that is because when I say some of us, like, I know I can be that way. <laughs> I know it. I like things done a certain way. Ask my wife and four kids. Okay? It's also because I have a wife and four kids that I have to realize that's not the case. I always get my way. Uh, and, and it shouldn't be that way. So when I think about these categories, even when they go above and beyond just personal opinion and disagreement into biblical doctrine, there's also ways for us to consider definitions within doctrine. And I want to go through this a little bit quickly, if you will. It's helpful. I'm going to give you some resources because this is not about doctrine, but I think it's important to touch, if you will. Um, when considering definitions or even tiers, I think of three tiers. There, there, there's a primary or a first tier. There's a secondary and there's a tertiary or a third tier, okay? And I actually, a really helpful resource from that, there was an article that Al Mohler wrote, and I've used this in the past, called A Call for Theological Triage in Christian Maturity, kind of thinking through those things that way. And here's how I think about this. The tier one are primary doctrines, okay? They're primary things that say that you're a Christian or you're not, right? They're actually the core doctrines on King's Cross website. Okay, so if you want another resource, you see, look there on our website, basic beliefs, you'll see, boom, these are listed. That there's one triune God, the Trinity, one God. The Bible is God's word. Okay, he's written his revelation of himself. That people are created in God's image. We're created by God to bear his image. That people are in need of redemption. Because of the fall, we need to be saved. 
Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He's fully God and fully human. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Salvation is by faith alone. The church is Christ's body, and Jesus Christ will return. This is what I'm going to call closed hand type stuff. Like, when it comes to, like, doctrinally speaking disagreements, like, that's like a non-negotiable for a believer. That's what we hold here at King's Cross. And I believe historically throughout history, we see that in the church. The second one is tier two doctrines. And here's the reason I'm giving you these tiers. Because when we come into disagreements, I'm trying to encourage you on where we need to be super, where we need to be more gracious, and we always need to be gracious and humble, but where we need to recognize that there is openness within the church to be able to disagree. Okay? So tier two doctrines are not unimportant, and authentic Christians can disagree on them, but they, include, they really usually include doctrines that would distinguish between denominations and local churches. Like, they're probably things that you, you can believe, but we can't worship together. So a good example of that is like baptism. We're not baptizing babies here when they're first born. Okay? Our Presbyterian brothers that we would consider Christians, they will. Okay? So that's a difference. A lot of them have to do with ecclesiology, things that happen within the structure and nature of the church, how we do church. Okay? All right. Please, this is for more digging in on your own. The third are tier three doctrines. They're doctrines that believers can disagree on, even in a local congregation, and still remain in close fellowship. Okay? I would place most debates over the timing and details of, um, of the end times in that category. Okay? I've seen churches you apply to, you have to have one single like, like, you have to believe a certain way to be a pastor or a leader or a minister in that church. And we would disagree that that's, that's the case. They, that has to be. It's a third tier. You guys can come in here, and we can talk all day long about how you think it ends. All right? I might not let you teach on it, depending on what you come up with, all right? Okay? But, um, but that's how that kind of falls out. So hopefully that's not too super fast to walk through that. I wanted to give categories for that. Because I think that in within the church, when it comes to things we say, okay, well, this is not a preference, so it's doctrine. So then we get really hard-headed, and we get really ugly about it. And, and, and what I don't want to be as a church is to not make our thing everyone's main thing. Okay? There's categories that we can have really healthy and helpful disagreements on. And I want us—it's robust. It's helpful. It's a body. You make me stronger. We learn together. The other areas that I think is more prevalent and applicable here is Christian wisdom and preference, okay? Now, one of the things that we have to understand about God's people is that he has promised us to have his spirit, right? He leads us, he guides us, he encourages us, he comforts us. If you are someone who's trusted in Christ, in his salvation on the cross, he says the comforter, the spirit of God is with you. And that is a gift, okay? He does not possess you. He does not direct you. He does not control you. So what does that mean? That leaves a lot of leeway on your flesh. It does, right? Your experiences, your opinions. It's actually a beautiful thing because possession, that's a demonic thing. That's what, that's what demons, they take over people's bodies. We even see it in the way that Scripture is given to us. And we're told that 
that God led and inspired people to write the text of Scripture by leading them along by the Spirit, not by taking them over in automatic writing. Just so you know, that's not the case with what we have. People don't blank out, Isaiah starts writing his thing, wakes up, said, what did I write? It's not how it works. Because God in his grace and even his sovereignty is able to rule and reign in ways that doesn't control us, but rather leads us into wisdom. But here's the result. When we start to exercise Christian wisdom and preference, we also need to be extremely humble and gracious because we have blind spots and we have experiences that cloud our judgment and we have influences that affect us and sometimes we may not be right. Hopefully that's not surprising to you, but I wanted you to know. So the thing we should be as we try to navigate this is to do the hard work of discerning what kind of an issue is this and being slow to speak. Slow to speak. James 1, chapter, 9, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says this to us, and it's a good encouragement like in this area. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Practically speaking, can I encourage you this? When you come to a disagreement, you should have a goal of trying to understand the position of the person you're disagreeing with better than they do. Hear them. Maybe you've heard of the fallacy of, of um, within argumentation of straw manning somebody. Okay? That means like propping up some fake argument they're not actually committing to and then knocking down that argument. You're misrepresenting the other person is what that means. As a believer, we should do something the opposite. We should be steel manning. We should be making that other person's argument stronger and then saying, I still disagree with you. That's how we should disagree. So you're like literally when you're talking to someone, you should be able to reword back to them Hearing everything they say, and at the end of what you explain, hey, this is what I'm hearing you saying. They should be able to say, that's right. That's right. N not you're right, but that's right. You get it right. Okay? That, hopefully that's helpful. It's practical. Because we are humble, gracious people that recognize our position before God, and we know we don't have all the answers. And so we can walk together in wisdom and disagreement. Paul and Barnabas the other thing they didn't do was they also didn't hold back their opinion because they disagreed, right? So we should both be willing to listen and learn, but we also need to be able to speak to one another and know that it's going to be received well. So in a community of faith, if we disagree, I, one thing I want to be able to do is be able to hear you, and I want you to feel free to be able to tell me when you disagree with me. And we should be able to have dialogue with grace and humility the way these brothers did, even though it resulted in the splitting ways. Because ultimately, you're going to have to come to a decision. Even if you have a disagreement, even if you're gracious, even if you weighed everything and said, you know what, this is a personal preference and opinion, these guys had to make a decision, and their decision led them in their disagreement to split ways. But my encouragement finally is this, trust in God's grace through it all. Hey, if you've done the hard work, if you have actually prioritized the mission and said this is something I think that's important if you have discerned that this is a disagreement and you understand the other person and you just still don't agree with them you need to trust God's grace in the end look what happens with these guys they split ways Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus 
But Paul chose Silas and departed, and he went off committed by the church to encourage and strengthen the other churches. They made a really tough decision, and they split ways. Do you think it caught God off guard and destroyed his plan for the church? Here's what I know about God's sovereignty. Our decisions won't ruin his plan. It's not. From early on here, we actually see that Paul and Barnabas were inseparable, but this split their ways. But Paul went on with Silas. And you know what? In the next chapter we're going to see, he met a guy named Timothy. I don't know if that would have happened because all of a sudden he had this bandwidth and he brought Timothy under his wing and invested in him. And we get letters like First and Second Timothy and we see Timothy encouraging and building up churches and we see Paul as a mentor to this guy. I don't know if that's what would have happened, but we see God's m- m- working through Paul and blessing his ministry. Barnabas takes John Mark and encourages him. And isn't this beautiful? That John Mark is so encouraged and built up and strengthened in the church that where Paul thought he was useless on this mission, that later in a letter he actually writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy, he's in prison right at this point. He says, bring Mark because he's useful to me in ministry. The church gets Timothy and gets blessed. John Mark is built up and brought up to be useful to Paul in ministry. And God's mission goes forth and the kingdom advances. And there was a big fight in the middle of it. See, ultimately as believers, you and I are going to have to make a tough decision from time to time. Whether we disagree on something or whether it's just a matter of moving to another city, or going to another job, or just making a decision in our home. But even as we walk through this, as we walk and consider and weigh and listen and think of all the options and variables, we have to finally make a decision with a clear conscience before God and trust God with the results. Paul couldn't get to a point that he could see taking John Mark was useful, and he had to live with that. Barnabas had to live with his decision. And God's grace was sufficient for both of them. See, as believers, we never stop trusting in God's grace. We literally, as Scripture tells us over and over again, walk, live our lives by faith. And it's not a blind faith. It's a faith in who God is, in his grace and his sufficiency in all of life, even if we don't quite get our decisions maybe right. Romans 14 actually tells us in an end of a passage which Paul is talking about eating food offered to idols that everything that's not done in faith is sin. Like to to not take an action that we believe convictionally before God that we're trusting in God with that action is sinful for us. We just literally walk by faith day after day. But the encouragement comes, I believe, and we need to rest in this from, from Romans chapter 8 that we read this morning in verse 28, that we know that all things are of God who are called according to his purpose. That that, that that word there in the Greek is actually all. That if God has called you and he has commissioned you and he is willing now to walk alongside you, that he works everything out in the background no matter what you do. That's kind of harsh for me to say here. But if you're following after God with the, most, with the obedience that's demonstrated inside of this text, there's 
plenty of open opportunity within Christian wisdom for God to work. There is, and I believe that, and that's encouraging for me. Let that free you from bondage to any idea that you always have to be right or perfect. That you can be, that you need, that you will be uh, locked up by indecision because you want to make sure you make the right one. Because even as Paul and Barnabas found different paths to walk down, in this disagreement, God graciously worked through both of them. And he can work through you and me. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful this morning that we could see Paul and Barnabas, that we could hear from the text here, even if it's on the surface of the way that they continue to follow after and listen and be led by you. God, I pray that you would give us that same kind of wisdom and discernment. Lord, that we would, we would be wise in the disagreements that we face and the tough decisions that we have to make. And Lord, that we would ultimately, as we walk down that path, that we would walk by faith, depending on you to guide us and lead us. And Lord, to work out all things for our good. God, grant us this morning the opportunity to continue to worship you. And Lord, teach us by your word. And we're thankful for all that you do. And we ask this in Christ's name.